Hi, I'm Tom Bloomer. And I'm Kelly Bloomer. And we're your hosts for OK Boomer, Teach Me Sales. So, Kelly. Yes, Tom. Have you ever thought about doing outside door-to-door sales? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And why not? The rejection, going in and out of stores, trying to get somebody to buy or be interested in what I have to give them. I can't see me doing that. That That's like confrontational. and You don't like confrontation. No, I don't. No. And it's, it's funny because we talk life is sales all the time. True. And, and you've been in sales for a couple of decades in retail and will people come into you. Right. And a sale absolutely has to take place. Correct. But and they're coming to me and I know what I'm talking about, but they're coming to me. To you. Yes. Now, could part of it be that you've met different salespeople that have given you a bad impression? I love to buy cars. You know, I get excited. I love every time we need to go look for cars. You you don't like that as much. I hate buying a car. Now, is it maybe the, is that the impression you have of outside sales? Yes. The pressure, the intimidation, the, it takes forever. The, are they a little bit too aggressive for you? They are. Mm-hmm. I just want to go in. I see the car I want. Give me my price. Let me go home. But they don't do that. No. They want to get you in the car, driving the car, telling everything about it. Right. There's there's some psychology involved in, in sales. Really? Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's just not the personality of somebody who's outgoing and aggressive and things like that. Well, see, maybe that's where the bad name comes from. I, I don't know. But, you know, our guest today knows everything there is to know about the psychology and science of sales. And it's going to be very interesting because you have your impression of sales. I have my impression of it. Um, And I think we both think it's maybe changed a little bit Mm -hmm. over the years. Okay. Um, But you can't think too poorly of that you did marry a salesperson. I did. Of course, I wasn't doing sales at the time. You were not. Okay. I guess I'm pretty intimidating. (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) All right. Well, we're looking forward to our guest. Um, Our guest has a website that's called Dr. Holly Speaks. Okay. And I think when our uh, listeners get to hear about her today, they're going to see exactly what that website means. Okay. We are extremely fortunate to be joined today by Dr. Holly Sollinger. Uh, Dr. Sollinger has a, a really unique background, a lot of educational experience and corporate experience in the corporate world. Um, Dr. Holly, can you kind of explain how that came to be and a little bit about what you're doing every day? Sure, Tom. Yeah, I appreciate that introduction because not too many people realize that I'm that evenly split between the two worlds. Um, so I was born into a family of educators. Uh, my mother was a teacher, my grandparents were a teacher, my great-grandparents were pioneer teachers. I mean, just, it goes, and my daughter is even an educator. So I, I always say that from a genetic perspective, I had no choice. But- Now, at what age? Were you like five and six? And in, in for Halloween, were you uh, a teacher or what? How did it <laughs> Not start? for Halloween, but I was teaching my dolls for sure and my teddy bears and yeah. <laughs> Excellent, yeah. Absolutely. But um, interestingly enough, my very first college degree, I chose to go the corporate route. I chose that I wanted to be a computer person. And um, that actually is what spurred this dual uh, personality that I have, this split personality, because I um, learned the technology. I started out in life as a computer programmer and a systems analyst. 
And yet all of my users found very quickly that they could they could understand me. I used English as a primary language instead of geek. And they, mm-hmm. <laughs> they enjoyed hearing things from me. So whenever they wanted to be trained or had questions, they came flying to me. And that reputation continued to grow. And it finally, word finally got back to my college professors. And when they needed to have somebody come and teach, uh, a particular topic they knew I was specifically good at, they called me. Right. So that that ended up, I was in the corporate world doing everything corporate people do. And all of a sudden now I'm teaching evening classes to people just like me. Wow. Especially in, in computers, right? That's oh, yeah. got to be one of the hardest things for people to understand. Yeah. And, and it was real interesting. Um, I was one of the few females at that time in technology. So it was a very male oriented and uh, field. And uh, I had to learn how to traverse, not only I'm a technology person, I'm a geek, let me speak in normal to- you know, terms, but also I had to, to basically span that gender divide that was there at times. Yeah. And I'm sure all the men loved learning from you, right? That, <laughs> acknowledging that, that you were gonna be able to teach them? We'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So, so talk about today now. Every every time I see you on LinkedIn, you got a lot of things going on. Um, that fifty fifty mix. How are you spending most of your days? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, my heart, I couldn't deny it for long. My heart is really as a teacher. I love, love, love. I love it when people have light bulb moments or aha moments. I love when my busy corporate people uh, tell me, "Oh my gosh, you just saved me tons of hours." or you just, you just help me relax. I can relax now because now I know how to do that project. And, and all of that feeds me, that's my passion. Um, I love, I feel like I have a mission and my mission is help people at work have a better time at work, help them to succeed, help them to feel confident with what they're doing. And, and one, a big part of that is to help them stay relevant. Um, statistics tell us that our, our four-year degree only lasts in business and industry for about five years. And then it's as if we never had a degree at all. So we know that now, nowadays, it wasn't this way forever, but now every major company has some kind of corporate training initiative or division, or they have a learning and development division. And they know that it's important to keep their people current and keep them learning new skills. They know it helps with employee retention and it helps with employee satisfaction and helps with productivity. It helps the bottom line. So that, that's where I come in. I get to come in and, and because I'm running my business, I have my own corporation, right? Uh, I get to still do the corporate thing. I've been in the corporate world forever and a day, so I understand it, but my teacher heart is very happy. So I'm able to come in and talk about topics that are in technology and professional development and in leadership and hopefully make a difference. Fantastic. And, and, and hopefully that's why a lot of our listeners are, are listening today, right? Because they want to learn. They realize that what they did yesterday, they may have to do things a little bit differently tomorrow. So excellent. Uh, and case in point, Tom, you're right. The pandemic, uh, because I was, I used to do all of my uh, teaching engagements, all of my facilitations, all of my trainings, all of my conference speaking in person. And I had to relearn. I had to to what we're doing right now. I, we both had to come up on this. I mean, this wasn't like, you know, part, oh, I'll just, I remember doing that in school. We, none of us did this in school. So yeah. we constantly as adults have to grow and change. And you can either choose to use change in a positive way, or you can fight change. And trust me, change is going to win anyway. So go after that positive angle. Absolutely. It doesn't, doesn't do you any good to fight it. And, and I've seen um, just a, a really big difference when I talk to parents with younger kids. 
Yes. When when the pandemic shut things down April May. Yes. Terrible learning experience for for children, right? Oh, because my because people really weren't prepared. But come back September and October, and I'm hearing much different stories because I'm sure our educators really dug in and figured out how they have to go and work with children in a virtual world. Yeah, yeah. So my daughter is a fourth grade teacher in an inner city Raleigh school. And uh, the spring caught her, I mean, she's a millennial, and yet the spring still caught her off guard. They had no clue what to do. Mm-hmm. By the time they were back in school, she's got it. She's got it kicked, man. She, she does the virtual training better than I think she ever even did the in-person because she's determined. She's determined that her kids will not suffer because of their environment. Yeah, well, and there's that, the passion of, a, of an educator coming out, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, fantastic. Hey, it's Larry Long Jr. from Durham, North Carolina. Okay, Boomer, teach me sales. Okay, so Dr. Holly, um, when we first talked and we did our pre-call, and we were, you have so many topics, right? I think you told me you have about 3,045 topics that, <laughs> that you would love to share with our listeners. We could be doing one of these every day live, right? Um, but when we went through them, the one that jumped out to me is you talk about the art and science of influencing people. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's so critical. I think some sellers do it naturally and they don't even know what they're doing, but for so many, it's something they need to be aware of. You you talked about this five-piece foundation that's necessary for influence. Can can you kind of uh, share that with the listeners? I would be happy to. So uh, one of my more recent, I guess, examples or stories as to, of, of how to not have influence, how to, how to use, abuse influence, um, is uh, oftentimes people will reach out to connect with me on, on social, especially LinkedIn, and the minute I accept their connection, um, they, they try to sell me something. And it doesn't work. It falls, I mean, I'm not happy that I've allowed them into my world the minute that that happens, but it happens because they don't have this foundation established. So in order to be influential and in order to influence somebody to think like you do, to purchase what you're selling, to uh, be interested in your service, the first thing you have to have, and this makes total sense, is trust. They have to trust you. And if you're coming at me out of the blue and I don't know who you are from Adam, I'm not going to have that initial trust. This is why salespeople that are real effective, even when they use social media, they spend time establishing relationships before they try to go into the sell mode. And often you don't even need to go into the sell mode if you establish the relationships correctly. Mm-hmm. So trust is the very first one. And then respect, which is a close first cousin to trust, is, is the second one. You've got to have trust and respect in order to be able to be influential. You also need to be able to communicate well. Um, you know, Tom, one, one of the things people don't realize is that the words that come out of your mouth make up only 7% of your communicated message. That's a very small amount. 7%? 7%. 93% is nonverbal. So 93% is your body language, your tone of voice, your facial gestures. You can see me being Italian over here, your hand gestures. <laughs> and all of that is a big part of the communicated message. And in this day and age of the pandemic, when we're doing so much of this the way that you and I are right now, Oftentimes we don't get the whole communicated message because we're not able to see the face. You know, when people don't show, turn their video on, we were just talking about this. When they don't 
uh, use their normal expressions and use their normal hand gestures, we can miss part of the message. So we have to have trust, respect, good communication, which involves more than just the tone of voice or just okay. the words. Mm -hmm. We also need to be considered professionals. Now that doesn't mean we need to be wearing Brooks Brothers suits every time people see us, right? Um, professionalism means that we just conduct ourselves in a way that people feel comfortable and they know that we're gonna get the job done. They know that we are good, true to our word and, and we're, we're there to help them uh, accomplish whatever goals they've set out for themselves. And now, do you see, does that vary depending on who you're with, right? Because certain, there are certain factors there that are going to weigh in. Right. So, I mean, I work with a lot of production and manufacturing uh, organizations that are very large, and I'll train a lot of the line workers. And, you know, they come in and they have certain suits or looks that they have to wear that are very casual because of the, the nature of their work. They can still be consummate professionals they can be just as professional as the ceo because of their actions and the way that they comport themselves with their co-workers yeah so professionalism can look totally different but it still kind of feels the same yeah no absolutely and i, and I think it also makes an impression um you know if you're with someone and you're not dressed similar you know they they may look okay you know who who's this corporate person coming in here you know I, and, and they make certain impressions, and then, yeah. then they can shut down a little bit. Um, when I was first out on the street selling, and now this was back in the early 90s, so, you know, dress and coat, that it was different back then, right? It's a lot more casual. Um, but I had a suit jacket, you know, a, a blazer or something, hanging in my car. Certain appointments, it went on. Yep. Certain appointments, the tie came off because I knew that, you know, if I'm walking in talking to an oil change place, the last thing they want is someone coming in looking all salesy. So, yes. um, you know, that professional like part like that to me is is really important for people to understand. Remind me to, to recall that when we talk about some of the um, subtle things that we can do as assists, because that is one of them. That is that is very good. You know, Excellent. You're, you're very good. Right. But right. the last the last little thing we need for foundation is a network. People will be much more apt to be influenced if they know that we have a network, so we have trusted sources, we have allies, we have people who respect and admire us. They're much more likely to be influenced if they're aware of all of that. Fantastic. And now, you know, one of the things I like when I looked at your LinkedIn profile in the beginning is you talk about your passion for keeping it relevant, right? Keeping people current and competitive and, and all those things. Those five fundamentals they probably haven't changed in 40 years, but how you apply them is is changing even now in 2020, right? Oh, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And it's funny, just like we have different personality styles, we have different ways that we like to influence others and also ways that we feel comfortable being influenced. So there are also five influencing styles and they really do kind of dovetail into the type of people that we are. So. Some people like to create bridges. They're called bridgers. Um, and and I, I like to find something in common that I have with you. And I like to use that as a bridge to create a relationship. That's a bridger. Um, somebody else might be what we would call a rationalizer. So they have all the facts and figures to back up why you should use their service, feel the same way they do, use their product. 
Um, we have uh, another group that they're, they're called asserters and they're just really good at saying, you need this, you need this, you need to have it. And we go, oh, okay, because we get right on board with that. Those are the asserters. Mm -hmm. uh, we have people that are, are uh, the inspirers. Um, they usually have a mission that we believe in. So they might use their mission to influence us. They might say, you know, gee, um, we're currently giving all of the proceeds of what we're doing to uh, the breast cancer efforts. And, and we might feel so strongly about that, that that ins inspirational piece of knowledge totally influences us to go in that direction. And then last but not least, we have negotiators. We have people that love the art of the debate and they'll go back and forth with us until we both have a little bit of a win in the environment. <laughs> but the good negotiators, right? Some yes, of them, using right? it for good, not for evil. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Okay, we are back with Dr. Holly. Uh, doctor, you had sent me over a, uh, a selection of some of the subtle psychological assists <laughs> that, that you thought would be great for us to talk about that are, that are really important in, in our arena. Um, I wanted to start, if it's okay with you, with likability. Right. Um, okay, so first I'm going to start out by saying we have to be very careful when we say subtle psychological assists. We are going to be using all of them for the power of good. Okay. <laughs> Not for the power of evil. I can't guarantee everyone listening <laughs> is strictly looking for good. Is that? Pinky swear. <laughs> All right. So I'll put a uh, I'll put a little warning at the end of the episode, and that and we'll works. be in good shape. That works. But yeah, likability, and we all know this. We've all known. I'm going to call them abrasive people. We have had abrasive people in our lives. We've had people in our lives that we've, you know, if we see them coming, we whoop, we whip around, we go the opposite direction. Those people are going to have trouble influencing anybody. Okay. So likability is one of the psychological things that we can do. We can make sure that we're likable. We're nice. We're kind. Uh, we're people that anybody would want to hang out with or talk to. Um, if, if people speak to us, we speak back. We say hello. Uh, we're happy. That's the likability factor. So if somebody likes you, they're a whole lot more likely to be influenced by you. Yep. And ha have you ever met somebody that instantly you didn't find them likable? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm thinking, you know, I wouldn't trust you as far as I could throw you across the room, right? Yeah. Um, all of that foundation goes out the window. Riding with people, riding coaching sessions. And, you know, it, it, my, my wife would laugh because I'd come home after a day of riding with somebody all day and we're out there to sell. And I'd tell them, I don't know how anybody likes them enough to buy from them. You know, you're going in as a salesperson and you're not trying to be likable. Right. Um, you know, it's just... All right. One of the next ones I wanted to talk about was the collecting favors. So this is interesting because this is that good or evil, I think, could come into play here. Um, how does collecting favors work into influence? It is so weird because if you basically ask people to do favors for you, it, it, it allows you to influence them. Believe it or not, when people get, do things for you, they feel more attached to you. They feel more like they have, they're an investment in you. So, it, and it doesn't have to be big. You can say, can you do me a favor? I, I left my pen. Can I borrow your pen? And immediately they feel a connection to you. There's the favor. They're giving you the pen. So if you're collecting favors, by the time you get ready to do the ask, 
they're already kind of moving along with you and they feel like they're more in your court, they're more likely to say yes. Fantastic. Now, when you teach that, right, in the groups, when you're going through that, does a light bulb go off? Do, do most people get that and start looking at some of the subtle ways they can do that? Yeah, and I've done a lot of sales teams. It's really interesting, especially in the uh, medical device and pharmaceutical arenas. And those people, every once in a while, they'll go, you know what? I just do that instinctively. I didn't realize that that I was actually getting all this good luck because I was doing that. But you know, um, asking to borrow a pen, asking if can I borrow a notepad? I want to make sure I get this down and get it right for you. Um, believe it or not, those are seen as favors because you should be walking right. We all say, oh, I should be walking in as a professional with everything I need. Maybe not. Maybe that's your opportunity to create that you know, familial feel, I guess, that allows us to be more influential. Mm -hmm. yeah. So let me ask you, so let's say we're going to have a meeting and, and you walk in and you're, you're meeting somebody for the first time and they ask you, can we, can we get you a, a cup of coffee? Or I know you're a tea drinker, right? Right, right. And would you like a cup of hot tea, a water? Um, what's what's the, uh, the proper answer there when it comes to uh, subtle influence? Absolutely, yes. I would love something. Thank you so much for thinking of this. I, I was so thirsty when I walked in and I, I cannot believe you're suggesting this. I appreciate it. Fantastic. Yep, absolutely. What I always like too, I, um, and I'm, I'm a nervous person. So, you know, a lot of times, and, and I'm very finicky. So I, I'm really tough with, with things, but I would used to show people, Hey, if they offer it, absolutely do it. Because I always looked at one of the things on a, on a call, I want to have their attention and I don't want to be rushed out of an office in four minutes. Right. When they do bring me, whether it's a cup of tea, cup of coffee, it almost gives us the impression we're going to be settling in here for a few minutes. This is going to be a good, it, it almost has more of that family conversation. And, yeah, and it's I a think, fireside chat. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that, that works in. I, I love the way I will, I hope you don't mind, I am forevermore going to steal it as collect favors because yeah. uh, I used to call it back in the day I would, and I always felt evil, right? When I would yeah. speak it, but I'd be like, I want to establish guilt. I, yeah. I want this person to, to feel like they owe me something or I owe yeah. them something. And, um, but collecting favors is, is the 2020 way to do that. So a positive I spin on guilt. Yes, absolutely. Cause we're only working for good here. There's no evil. That's right. Thank you. Swear. That's right. <laughs> All right. Um, let's talk about um, the chameleon effect. Mm. Um, I've heard different things. What, what exactly do you mean by that? The chameleon effect is also called mirroring or imitating. So as we all know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that we're going to be exactly imitating the person. But if the person sits down, we should sit down. If the person stands up, we should stand up. If the person is, uh, you know, you know, you're getting the idea. If they're dressed a certain way, like you said earlier, I told you I'd have the callback. You should be dressed a similar way. If if they are angled to a side, then you can also angle to a side while you're talking to them. All of that, believe it or not, breeds a familiar feeling, and and it makes the, both of you much more likely to be influenced by the other. Fantastic. So it, it sounds evil. I've had people say, so if they if they sit like this, I'm just sit like that. No, not like, <laughs> not exactly. And and if they laugh, 
I, you know, if they say something funny and they laugh, it's a good idea to, to find it amusing, even if you don't, right. you know? That's what we're talking about with the chameleon effect or mirroring. So chameleons, as you well know, turn whatever color they, their surroundings um, so that they're more camouflaged. And that's what we're saying here, basically kind of fit in, blend in with people. Don't be, be seen as very different from the people that you're trying to establish that relationship with. Yeah. I actually think there's a few business owners in New Jersey that still think I'm a New York Giants fan. So <laughs> I don't know where they got that from, but but I, I think they still think that. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I was asked by, I'm going to leave these out, but I, um, a college uh, football team and a professional football team uh, have um, pre-COVID, they had huge fan base uh, events uh, when it was football day for their teams. And I was asked to come in, I do some amateur photography and I was asked to come in and take pictures of the crowd. And everywhere I went, they assumed I was a fan and mm -hmm. I could, couldn't have been more not a fan of either of those two teams. <laughs> They're going to make any impression they want, right? We're just, exactly we're just not going to right. ruin that impression. And I wasn't going to correct their assumptions. I just smiled. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm assuming that that smile is part of the, uh, the five foundations, right? Yeah, it is. It is. And you also see me doing this. So smiling and nodding are two of my old standbys. Um, you, can't, you can't not get along better with somebody if they smile. If I... It's almost like a, a personal mission for me. If I'm out and about in public, just running errands, and I see a sales clerk that's having a bad day, a cashier that's having a bad day, a customer that's having a bad day, I'll smile. Uh, sometimes I'll even talk to them. You know, I'll even say something as an attempt to just, you know, oh, wow, that person looks very cloudy. I think I'll go help them out. I don't know what it is about me that, that I want to do that. But smiling and nodding both ingratiate yourself with the other person. So... It's, it's an easy way to automatically fit in, blend in, be seen as a friend rather than a foe. Uh, and I've had people say, I don't feel like smiling. Sometimes it's fine, smile anyway. Because study after study after study shows that if you smile, the rest of your psyche will catch up to that smile and pretty soon you're feeling better than you were. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my wife taught me, she's a big believer in, in wanting to be a blessing to everyone she meets all day. And you truly never know that one smile. It can be maybe all they see all day. Yeah. And, and it could be fantastic and it, it could change their perspective. And, and uh, so it's just a great thing. I have two or three more I really am hoping to get to. Um, can we come back for another minute? Absolutely. All right. Hi, it's Brian from Boston. Okay, Boomer, teach me sales. All right, so we are back with Dr. Holly. Dr. Holly, a few more subtle psychological assists that we, that we want to cover. Um, you have something here called staying quiet. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so this is the one that when I work with my sales teams, they find the most interesting. Many, many, many research studies have been done watching when people debate or negotiate back and forth. And every single study shows that when two people are negotiating or two people are debating or two people are talking, the person who says the least wins the most. The person who says the least wins the most. So not, the not, person... not the loudest? Mm. <laughs> no? Isn't that funny? And two things are, are the reason for that. Number one, if you're not talking, you're doing this. I love the expression, God gave us two ears and one mouth 
Mm -hmm. Use that as your percentage, right? Right. If we're listening, we're able to hear the client's need, their want, their desires. We're able to respond then in kind the way that we should be. Also, if we're not, and you know this, people talk themselves clean out of sales at times. Sometimes we just get to talking so hot and heavy that, that we just end up tripping over ourselves and saying something that we shouldn't say because we're just going so fast and clipping along and then the sale is gone. Mm-hmm. So we need to learn to be quiet and listen and then respond to what we're hearing. Not, not sit while they're talking and think, I'm going to say this next and this next and this next and because then we're not really hearing them. We need to really hear them. I, I have complimented so many salespeople. When I ran a corporate training division at, at the local, one of the local uh, universities here, I had salespeople calling me all the time. And the ones that were very unique that I loved doing business with, that I would go out of my way to do business with were the ones that I knew heard me. I need this to happen and this to happen and I need this and this and this. And they would say, this is what I'm hearing. This is what you need. And that's what I'm going to give you. And then they would leave and it made me very happy. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it's, it's one of those kind of maybe unwritten laws that to me, it, it, it almost should be a, a law, right? I in, agree. In sales and leadership and things like that. You, you have to know how to do that. You know? Yeah. The really good leaders in life do the same thing. The really good leaders in life listen to their people before they respond. They listen very carefully. Yeah. The, the leaders that understand that they can still learn, right? They're going to learn a lot more when you're listening than when you're constantly the one doing the talking. So it's fantastic. Hey, we are about out of time for today, but let's, let's finish with one last one. You talk about creating scarcity mm. and, and I'm sure a lot of sellers are doing this every day, but I'm wondering, are, are they doing it correctly? Uh, what are some of the, the good ways to create scarcity? Yeah, well, the, the bad thing is you don't want to lie because if you lie and your customers find out, it's not good. But if you say things like, this is a limited time deal, which often it is, you know, we're only going to be able to extend this offer to you for the next 30 days, or we're only going to have these, this particular product in stock until we sell out of it. Those are legitimate ways to create scarcity. So we want to create scarcity in a way that allows our people to feel compelled to purchase quickly but without lying to them so that they don't, they find out later, oh, wait, hey, that same deal's still out here, you know, uh, four months later, uh, that isn't gonna help us out with that relationship. Yeah, I, I think at that point, we're back to losing some trust. We're, yes. we're losing some respect, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and that's good, I, I was hoping, I was very interested in your answer because I, I see so many salespeople because they, they feel a need to establish a, a deadline or, or a scarcity, or you know, this is going to be gone, and they fall into the trap of of lying, even if it's not a big lie. And boy, it, it's gonna it's gonna get you in trouble. It, it, it really is. is. And and it's it's not a it's not a good practice. It's not you're not setting up those foundations the the way that you want. Um, one of the things that I I've always loved is to whenever you're in a position where you can create scarcity. Through, through questions back. You know, one of the, the big things in, in my career was selling ad space. And as we get close to a sale, a business owner looks at, well, when, when's my deadline? You know, when do you need to have it? When does this offer end? Things like that. And I would always just ask a question back. How much time do you need? And 
majority of the time, they would tell me an answer that was far less than what I would have given them any anyway as a deadline. And, and I didn't have to lie, I didn't have to mislead, and, and they're creating the own, their own scarcity for me, uh, which is great. I love that. I love that trick. That's great. Yeah. Hey, Dr. Holly, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I, I realized over the last few minutes why we get along so well. Um, we're both Tigger. Yes, we are. Yeah. You know, we're bouncy, bouncy, trouncy, trouncy, fun, 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 fun. Absolutely. And, and we deal with far too many Eeyores out there. So yes, I think that's do. what makes our conversation such a pleasure. Um, I, I've really enjoyed the time. I'm sure our listeners have, and uh, hopefully Thank we you, can uh, we can bring you back someday again in the future. Um, our listeners can find you on our website, uh, OK Boomer Teach Me Sales. Uh, where else um, can they find you? Yeah, they can find me on my website. They, uh, my Gmail is Dr. Holly Speaks, all one word at Gmail, uh, and you can look up Dr. Holly Speaks on both LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook. I guess all three of those. Excellent. And, and there's good social proof professionally on all of those. I certainly hope so. Absolutely. <laughs> Dr. Holly, thank you very much for today. Thank you, Tom. So that's it. That's today's show. Okay, Boomer, teach me sales. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to subscribe and follow. We hope you make us a part of your week. And don't forget to share with your friends and coworkers. Should we mention the website? Sure. The website, okboomerteachmesales.com. And where can they engage with us? LinkedIn at Thomas J. Bloomer. We hope to see you there.